Park the magic carpet for now. It's time to begin the cinema crew with Village Cinemas. There is a lot of gray area in Make Me a Prince. It is a whole new world of live-action Disney classics. We're talking Aladdin. I want to do good, man. I do. A horror movie based on the idea of Superman? That's Brightburn. What were you guys thinking? Well, sometimes we weren't. And we take an optimistic look at the environment in 2040. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Cambo and I will be your host, but joining me as always is Vary McIntyre. Hello. And please join me in welcoming the newest member of The Cinema Crew right here from the Jam Factory Cinemas, Dan Miranda. Hello, welcome guys. And dear listener, your chance to win a gold class double pass coming up just a little later on, but first... You stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. Aladdin originally hit our screens in 1992, during the heyday of what is referred to as the Disney Renaissance. Well, these days, Disney are at it again, this time with live-action adaptations of their Disney classics. This version is sadly missing the energy of Robin Williams. It looks to be full of colour and wonder. And who better to bring us this than the director of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? So, is there magic still left in Aladdin? Well, unfortunately, we have not seen this one yet, so we can only speculate. But even from bits of the trailers that I've seen, I'm so excited as you said, this is such a Disney classic. I loved it when I was a child, but it also makes me feel very old that the two actors playing Jasmine and Aladdin were born when the movie came out. <laughs> so, my God. Hopefully everyone knows the story. It follows Aladdin, a street urchin who finds a magic lamp and this genie who gives him three wishes and he's trying to win the hand of the princess Jasmine with the help of this genie. So, and the question with these Disney live action remakes are, because everyone has such fond memories of these cartoons, do you think that this looks and feels like Aladdin? I feel that it does not look or feel like the Aladdin that I grew up with. Really? I feel, I feel that this is more authentic to say maybe Bollywood culture or something like that, mm-hmm. whereas I have images of the curvature of the animation from the original <laughs> film that mm. aren't in this version. Not to say that that's a bad thing. I think that's a, a nice step because you don't want them to be identical. But um, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, it's interesting you say Bollywood because that's what I was thinking of Jasmine's outfit. Mm. It's not the the blue outfit that we know from the cartoon, but they have made it more like an Indian sari vibe. Mm. So I think the big question then comes down to the genie because generally that's everyone's favourite character <laughs> yeah. and immortalised by Robin Williams back in 92. And you would think an unfillable role. And then one of the only names that I think sounds okay to replace it is Will Smith because he is so charming, mm, yeah. albeit in a different way. How are you feeling about a new genie? For Will Smith to be playing that role is different again from, say, the stage musical that yeah. came out a few years ago. Um, and when that originated on Broadway, the actor who played him actually won the Tony for Best Supporting Actor. Mm. And he portrayed him with a blue suit as opposed to blue face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he actually made it more of a Cab Calloway style and it actually really mm. worked for the stage production. And I think that's what it is. You don't have to be Robin Williams because his whole thing is mm. he talks very fast. He does a lot of impressions that, mm. quite frankly, kids wouldn't understand now. It's like Bob Hope and Jack Nicholson and stuff <laughs> like that. But what you want the genie to be is not a series of impressions. He's the best friend you wish you had. 
And yeah. Will Smith kind of is the best friend mm. that you wish you had in a lot of ways. So in that way, I think he fills that role really well. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Right, you'd be snuggled up with that dude for the rest of your life. Y'all Yo, see my palace? Be specific with your words. The deal is in the detail. Got it. Which I don't really understand, because if she already likes you, why change? I told you, she has to marry a prince. I just want to go home, man. Okay, I can do that. But I really liked that they seem to be unashamedly going for colorful. There's big songs and dances in this movie. There was an era in, like, what, the mid-2000s where... They were trying to do the dark, gritty version of mm. all these movies. Alice in Wonderland was kind mm. of bleak and there was yeah. uh, Snow White and the Huntsman and things like yeah. that. I, I'm so glad that that's over. Oh, no, I love Same. those. See, I, I, no. I think that that's kind of a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Because yes. you have a whimsy of a fairy tale or something like that and you're trying to fit it into something that it might maybe doesn't fit into. No, because it was the dark fo folklore before the fairy tales. Well, so it completely true. fits. Disney just appropriated all these old folk tales yeah. already <laughs> and made them nice and colourful. Yeah, that's kind of how they made all their money originally. So <laughs> I really could see a dark version of this because it's based on Arabian Nights. So, yes, really dark vibes could come out of it. But, yeah, they've gone completely in this, like, with the Dumbo sort of colourful and bright aspect of it. I'm, I'm definitely for the colourful aspect and the, the Disneyification, if that's a word. Um, but I will say, I do know in this new version that Jasmine does have her own solo song, which she probably is singing about. This is speculation, but I think she's singing about, you know, wanting more and being independent and all those things that maybe mm. the original Jasmine didn't get the chance to say. So yeah. hopefully that's a bit different in a better way. You should see these places. I mean, there's a whole world outside of books and maps. Do you want to? How? Every door is guarded. Who said anything about a door? What are you doing? Sometimes, princess. Sometimes you just have to take a risk. <gasps> We all know that people grew up with Aladdin. Do you think that kids are as interested in this as people like us that grew up as kids with Aladdin? Or do you think this is geared more towards just nostalgia of people our age? Mm, I think it is definitely geared more to the nostalgia aspect. Whereas the Disney name is already going to be pulling in younger audiences already. And because of, say, the theme parks and all the Disney princess merchandise, I think younger people will already have a an idea of who Princess Jasmine is, who Aladdin is. So they'll already have that connection to what the movie may be. And I think it will play as well for them as it does for us. For me, there's a lot of childhood memories I have of shows like Care Bears and Pony Pals. And when they update those, it looks terrible to me. <laughs> and I don't know if kids like it. I haven't talked to any kids. But for Disney adapting their own cartoons into something live action, that works for me better than my other childhood memories, which have just been trashed. <laughs> right. Mm. See, I always have this thing. And weirdly, the movie that set me on this path, it was the remake of the Ninja Turtles that came out a few years oh, ago, yeah, that oh. which I remember I saw the trailer and I had that reaction. I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah. I, I used to watch Ninja Turtles all the time. And it was, I was actually delivering food in gold class and the trailer was playing and I delivered it to a little kid and he was having the time of his life watching that trailer and he was laughing <laughs> and, and, I, and I went, oh, it's not for me. Yep. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's yep. not made for me. So whenever I see something like this, like these live action Disney remakes, where I'm like, oh yeah, they look okay. 
you know, it, there's things like this I would change or whatever, and I always stop and think, oh, they're not made for me. It's kind of, it's, it's a little bit nostalgia, but at the end of the day, a Disney film is a Disney film, and that has a core market, and that core market is kids, and they seem to love it. And how can you not fall in love with a whole new world played mm. throughout the trailer? Mm. <laughs> oh, best song. I know it's been difficult for you lately, that you feel different from other kids. Just the floor, Brian. <laughs> you are different. Caitlin, get my hand up. He's a creep. Help him up. What are you doing? What if Superman was evil? That's the basic pitch behind new horror film Brightburn. And while you won't hear the main character being called Clark Kent or the classic yellow S insignia anywhere in this movie, the parallels seem pretty uncanny. And via the warped perspective of producer James Gunn, most known for his Guardians of the Galaxy films, is this a refreshing option for those sick of superhero goodness? Well, I personally think that Brightburn is incredibly different to Superman because you go into it not realising that it's actually, oh... Evil Superman. It took me to the end of the film to sort of connect oh, those really? parallels. See, see, big comic nerd in me, as soon as the trailer started, I'm like, that's the Man of Steel font. Like, from frame one. See, that's the thing that I think people will go into this unknowingly. If they are comic book fans, they'll realise, oh, this is. Yeah, Farm on Kansas, Alien Correct, pod, correct, yeah. correct. But, you know, if you're not coming at it from an angle of a fan of comic books... You might be surprised and be like, hang on, where have I seen this? Brightburn is a horror thriller that focuses on a couple trying to have a baby whose prayers are answered when they find and adopt a baby in the woods of their farming property at the crash of a spaceship. So I quite like this idea of taking something that is a mythos, and this isn't connected at all to DC in any way, but just that mythos of Superman is the archetype of this and twisting it in a brand new way. I always think there's something kind of interesting, like there's an interesting commentary to be made about the idea that, yeah, truth, justice, in the American way is the Superman motto, but what if that perspective was warped? And James Gunn, who produced the movie, started in trauma films, which are really kind of trashy, campy horror movies, and now he's working in superhero films. And this seems like the melding of both of his worlds coming together, which I think weirdly works in a way that it shouldn't. Okay, we keep talking about Superman, um, but glaringly, this is obviously Ultraman. <laughs> which Ultraman. is, yes, which he is from Earth 3 and he's like this alternate reality Superman who yeah. is evil. And we keep talking about Superman and DC and have they not sued this movie yet? Well, it's funny because you mentioned in the Shazam episode that uh, DC sued Shazam for being so similar to Superman that mm. eventually got the rights to him and republished him. Uh, but... More recently, it has become known that Superman is such an iconic um, part of American culture that it, because, you know, they don't directly reference anything, you can kind of get away saying it's satire. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what this film was doing to, I would say, right up to the line. Yes. <laughs> very with a lot of this very stuff. Close. Red Overlapped. tape and all. Maybe there is something wrong with Brandon. Turn against our son. He's not our son. I will say this is something that I refer to often on the show as date night horror, which means it's not like it's not going to ruin your day like something like Hereditary might. You know, oh you walk out of Hereditary and you're like, "What? What am I doing? Yeah. What is anything?" Whereas this, it just has some fun jump scares. And there some were some fun jump scares, and also I found overall it is exactly what you say—a good date night horror. But there are a couple of moments where it 
petered over that fun date night aspect and turned into quite a gory film. Oh, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. It, 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 it's hinted at the trailer, and I'll say right now that there is a scene involving an eyeball yeah. that was very hard to watch. <laughs> Which and they cut for English audiences. Did they really? Yeah, to drop the rating. Wow. So we're seeing a different movie. We're seeing the, the full vision yeah. <laughs> of, of James Gunn. <laughs> so David Yaroveski is actually the director of this film and he only really has one other credit, which is a small director uh, streaming uh, movie called The Hive. Yeah. As well as directing a Guardians of the Galaxy music video. Yes. How do you think that he handled transition to very sm- you know small budget to... I would say mid-range budget with this. It doesn't destroy a whole city like Man of Steel, but there is some chaos going on. Yeah, I love those films that are small budget, but they feel bigger than they are. They have that element to them of that indie um, production side of things, and you can really tell that, and you feel this like connection to it because you're, oh, they're trying and they they're doing really well with what they've got, <laughs> and they've just produced this like really good. Qu- quality content the closest parallel i mean obviously we've talked about superman a lot during this review but it's actually a movie called chronicle which came out uh maybe four or five years ago which was actually a very very small budget found footage film with michael b jordan about uh three kids that become superheroes and that is exactly what you're talking about they actually did it for a lot cheaper than you think they did it for they just did it smart and brightburn is a bit like that where it's clearly limited in budget but they've filmed it so smartly that by the end of the film, it's quite a spe- you know, quite a spectacle going on. Mm. That that it's never present in your mind that oh man, this is only you know a couple million dollars. No, you don't consider that at all. And I think what helps that is the cast because it's it is ultimately about a family and all about their relationships with one with one another. And I wanted to mention that um, Matt Jones, who plays the friend of the dad, yep. is very very funny. Bad dude from Breaking Bad. Is he from Breaking yeah. Bad? He's also from the TV series Mum. Oh, right. Yeah, and um, he, his great comedy relief throughout this film. This film reminded me of Firestarter from 1984 with a very young Drew Barrymore, oh. where when she has tantrums, she sets things on fire accidentally, and her dad has powers she inherited it from, and the mum doesn't. So there's this weird dichotomy of like, oh, this kid's kind of evil, but she's not trying to be evil. She just accidentally sets things on fire. And those movies like Children of the Corn and the creepy kid aspect like uh, Pet Cemetery, not that long ago, if you like those sort of creepy kid films. This <laughs> is definitely a, a date night movie for, yeah. you know, friends. Don't take it too seriously. It's no. a bit of fun. There's that level to it as well. For sure. Also in cinemas this week, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. The third, but hopefully not the last, in the John Wick series with Keanu Reeves. And of course, Detective Pikachu. Live action Pokemon, voiced by Ryan Reynolds. Yes, you can hear about all of those movies and every other movie in cinemas right now in our back catalogue in whatever podcast app you'd like. Just go back, they're all there. My name is Damon, and this is my daughter, Velvet. Her major concern right now is the elusive art of sleep direction. But soon, she'll have to face a rapidly deteriorating environment. The ice sheet is now melting faster than the scientists predicted. I think there's room for a different story. A story that focuses on the solutions to some of these problems. So in 2040, what will the world look like for our daughter? If we just embrace the best that already exists. Director Damon Gamow opened a lot of people's eyes with his last documentary, That Sugar Film, exposing the real harms of refined sugar in a funny and educational way. Now he is back with an even bigger task, trying to save the world. So, do you think he's managed with 2040? 
Yeah, this was a really surprising film for me. It's a documentary, and I know that's going to put a lot of people off, <laughs> but it's so unique in the way that it's been constructed. So Damon Gamow has envisioned this positive future for his four-year-old daughter in 2040, going to be in her 20s, if we adopted green renewable technologies that we can right now because he was sick of all these post-apocalyptic movies where everything's barren and there's robots and everything's awful. And he's like, no, this is what we could have realistically. And that is what I think is the biggest point of difference here is it is an hugely optimistic movie. Yeah. And that is such a breath of fresh air to be like, yeah, things aren't great, but look at all this that we could be doing right now. And I thought the, we could do this right now aspect of it mm. is what makes it most interesting. Because it's really tangible to think yeah. that we've got all this technology right now. We can access it, put it into play. This is the world we'll get. Yeah. Yeah. As he says himself, it's fact-based dreaming. So it is a vision of the future, which is run by electric self-driving cars and things like that. So it does feel futuristic, but we definitely have that technology now. That's kind of what made me angry when I was watching <laughs> yeah. it. I was yeah. like, you mean we could be doing this? Ah, yes. oh, damn big agriculture. Mm. So, and I think what is great about his documentaries is he does them in a very unique way mm. where a lot of documentaries are a talking head in front of a, you know, a colored background of some type and yeah. it'll cut to B-roll footage of whatever they're talking about. But he really uses all the like, all the tools in a filmmaker kit to make these interviews really exciting. One of them, for instance, they're on a huge monopoly board driving in a small silver car <laughs> and that's just how they're conducting their interview. Uh, it's, it's a fun little metaphor for what they're talking about in that section, but also it's just interesting and kind of fun. Oh, it was so funny. We were like, who's going to appear next in a smaller version CG'd <laughs> it like, onto it's something? It's like watching Downsizing with... Um, <laughs> What's his name? Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you wouldn't think that a documentary needs a CGI budget. No. But this one must have had one. It yeah. did. And even when he's talking at the start of the film about all the climate disasters, you have the showerhead emulating a cloud and yes. then the rain's coming from that. I really mm. appreciate that because it's a different aspect. Yeah. He's definitely making it for kids. He has this idea in mind and he's got such a young child and he's thinking, obviously kids, even teenagers, are not going to be interested in a documentary. And that's who he's aiming it for. He wants school kids to see this. So how to make it interesting for them. So then who do you think should see 2040? Oh, everyone. Definitely everyone. People who don't believe in climate change should <laughs> see this don't film. Don't understand Don't understand. Change. That's much better true. <laughs> yes. And I think the film is preaching to its converted a little bit anyway but hopefully this will change some minds somewhere out there yeah and just start a conversation i think mm. that's important now for your chance to win a gold class double pass simply head to facebook or instagram find the cinema crew post and answer the question to celebrate aladdin and the great songs that are in that we want to know what is your favorite disney movie song oh good question now just leave your answer with the hashtag the cinema crew for your chance to win Next week, the true fantasy of Alton John in Rocket Man and Destruction of Plenty in Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters. But until next time, thank you, Barry. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. And we'll see you next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. <laughs>